Keeping up with the Joneses. Welcome to episode 209 of Keeping Up with the Joneses, where it's a drich day in Franklin, Tennessee. Drich. Drich. That's Scottish for blah. That's Scottish for normal weather. <laughs> but like drich is like rainy, sludgy, yeah, gray. As I look outside our studio window today, it's there's no leaves on the tree. It's a watercolor gray sky. Everything is damp. And it's been drizzling all day. It is the textbook definition of drich. I know, but in Raleigh, they got like 10 inches of snow. Did my sister get 10 inches of snow? I don't know what she got. Well, she's not in Raleigh. She's in Charlotte. But Raleigh, like I'm looking on Instagram and it looks like it looks like Canada. I was like, has everybody gone to Canada? Oh, because the two people I follow there are have lived in Canada. So I thought they were, you know, traveling at the same time. No, they just got snow. Yeah. So, well, uh, maybe drich here, but at least we don't have snow. Is that what you're saying? Yes, although I think I'd rather have snow than drich. I don't know. It's just a thought. Well, that's the weather update. <laughs> this week we're talking about physical healing. But before we get to that, AJ Jones, how was our week? We had a really good week. It was a full week. Lots of Christmas parties and such. You're only saying we had a good week because you got a new llama. It's back from the I grave. Did. The llama up from the grave it arose. Uh, yes, I have another llama balloon that looks exactly like the last one that you murdered. Which, again, freaked me out this morning. <laughs> Why? It was in the kitchen. I know. And I slept on the sofa last night so that you could sleep because of my snoring and my congestion has been so bad. And so at 6 a.m. when I woke up bleary-eyed, not remembering it was in the kitchen, I walked in and the silhouette of this thing looming over me. So I stabbed it. You did not. It's no. still there. It's not there. Where is it? It's for me to know. You Where did it. you move my llama to? You get to practice your prophetic gift and you can find it. But the llama lives. You're right. We had lots of Christmas parties. Alan Jones, that llama came here from <laughs> Ireland. It was ordered from Ireland. <laughs> Money well spent. We we did. We had lots of Christmas parties this week. Well, yes. I say lots with two. For a highly introverted person, that, that's certainly a lot. Hey, they were back to back. They were. So, you know, that's pretty intense. Our kids were like, do we have babysitters again? We're like, yes, honey. Our, you will see your parents at some point, I promise. It's a good thing they love their sitters, though. It's a really good thing. Yeah. Just as well. Mm -hmm. um, ask me if I'm an electrical engineer. Are you an electrical engineer? No, but you'd be forgiven nope. for thinking so because <laughs> I did fix the sauna. You, well, yes, you did. <laughs> so last week I talked about. However, <laughs> last week I explained that I attempted to fix our sauna by rewiring it, but when I plugged it in, it blew a lot of the electrics which were on the same circuit. Yes. So you might be wondering to yourself, how did you fix the sauna, Alan? How did you fix the sauna, Alan? It's interesting to know. I had to bring in my electrician friend neil yes who uh sweet neil who fixes all of our electrical issues <laughs> where would we be without neil well we'd be in the dark in many ways <laughs> he, he basically pointed out that i need a separate circuit to run that thing on that sauna is pretty power heavy so we were running on a 15 amp circuit and so we were overloading it ah so he very kindly installed a brand new circuit a 20 amp circuit the only scary part well there's many scary parts electricity scares me but one of the scariest parts was there was no room on our breaker panel indoors, so we had to use the main panel on the outside of the yeah. house. Yeah. And it was raining, and yeah. it was in the dark, and Neil was convinced we didn't need to shut off the electricity. So <laughs> he's doing everything live with wet hands, standing on wet grass. I'm like, Neil, should I just dial 9-1 and then wait to dial another one <laughs> if things go pear-shaped? But they did not go pear-shaped. He no. installed a brand new 20-amp circuit. 
He is a clever man, is Arneel. He is. Mm-hmm. Plugged in the sauna, mm-hmm. and hey presto, it works. Yeah, and now it gets really hot. And But my point is it works because... Because you fixed the panels. That's all I want to hear. And because Neil put in the right thing. Yes, yes. yes. They're two yes. completely separate issues. I leave vindicated. Okay, good. <laughs> Your books arrived today? Uh, yesterday, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or maybe two days ago. Anyway, they arrived. It's all a blur. It is. It's all sort of... It's becoming December. You know, in December when one day blurs into the next... Mm-hmm. All in a march towards the 25th. Well, my mind is screaming, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Too late. There you go. Now you have that little view into my heart. (laughs) (laughs) We're recording this Sunday afternoon because you have... The women's Christmas party evening extravaganza. I don't know what it's called. It's a women's evening. But we just got home from church. Yeah, it's true. So we have a very short window of time to talk about something really important. It's funny that we're talking about physical healing, because I didn't know anything about it for most of my Christian life. Yeah. Well, I would imagine a lot of people don't. Yeah. We just, I mean, you think about healing as something a doctor does, not necessarily something that God does. And yet the the Greek word that's used for saved, mm-hmm. the evangelicals of which I am one, mm-hmm. would use all the time. The Greek word there is sozo, which means saved, healed, and delivered. Yeah. And I, again, the evangelical tradition I grew up in, that Greek word just meant saved, period. We, we only used that word saved, like as in your sins are forgiven. That's all it was. Yeah. And now that I've been in the charismatic tradition, is it, are we even a tradition? I don't know. <laughs> now, now that I've been in more charismatic churches for, I don't know, half my life, maybe. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated how much I missed out on and, and misunderstood. I was thinking earlier about Jesus, uh, I think it's in Luke 5, where he says he's with a paralytic and he's being questioned, I think by the Pharisees, if my memory serves me correct. And he says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Right. And Jesus' point is, I have the power to do the same thing. I have the power to sozo you. I have the power to save. I have the power to heal. Right. Which one's easier? Right. And I never saw anyone get healed growing up. Me neither. So I had no theology for healing because I guess I, I didn't have to. Right. So my answer to Jesus' question would be much harder to say, rise up and walk. Right. E- easy, uh, have your sins then, forgiven. Yes. Just yeah. pray this little prayer and you will you know, you can come to Jesus. You can invite him to your heart, done. And yet Jesus demonstrates, you know, rise up and walk. Yeah. Pick up, carry your mat and go. And that's exactly what happened. I hadn't really thought about that, babe, because I think, I mean, while I didn't certainly... Uh, go to church anywhere near as much as you did as a child. My in my sporadic engagement with a couple of different kinds of denominations, we had no expectation of healing. Basically, I mean, we would sort of throw a prayer that way, but it was like no expectation that God actually did still heal. Which is sad because that's what Jesus paid for. Yeah, it's super sad. And I think that's the bit that I'm I'm uh, angry is too strong a word, but most uh, sad about is that. The right emphasis on Jesus' death on the cross, purchasing the the forgiveness of our sins, seemed to have come at the expense of preaching about Jesus' purchasing our healing on the cross. Yes. And it was only in in later Christian life that I actually learned that. And it's still even hotly debated, even by people who practice practice healing. Yes. But before we even get into that, I'm staying back when I was like a child. I knew that Jesus wanted to save 
I didn't think Jesus wanted to heal because nobody even talked about it. It's not like anybody said, hey, do you believe Jesus still heals today? That wasn't even, <laughs> wasn't it even wasn't a question. It just wasn't a discussion. It wasn't right. a discussion because right. it, it wasn't visible. And I think if anybody had mentioned about Jesus healing somebody, like this morning, Jeff just told the story of somebody who'd got healed of Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. I think probably back then I would have just written that off as either foolish people being deceived or maybe some faith healing scam, something like that. Or they must not really have had Crohn's. They right. just thought they did. They had a sore tummy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, they took some Advil and forgot about it. The sad part of that is what we do today representing Jesus' ministry doesn't look really like what Jesus' ministry actually was. Right? If, if you take the example, Dr. Luke wrote in Acts 10, verse 38, he says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Yes. And if you read the Gospels, you see the fullness of salvation in the life of Jesus. You see Jesus healing people. You see Jesus doing deliverance and freeing people from uh, the torment of demonic spirits. And you see um, him preaching the Gospel and seeing people saved, literally healing everyone who was under the power of the devil. Yeah, And yet, in my experience, we only did a third of those things. Right. For sure. We preached the gospel. We didn't. Yeah. I was just, I was just thinking about my, my grandma who was Anglican. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I never, I didn't really hear about uh, healing going to the Anglican church, but I remember she belonged to something called the Order of St. Luke, which is basically a bunch of Anglicans who believe that God was still healing today. Wow. And I remember saying to her, Grandma, have you seen anybody healed? And she said, not yet, but I'm going to. Like, she was just, she was like, I remember her pointing to her Bible and saying, it's in here. It's in here. Like, you know, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. But I I didn't think about that until you were just talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. that's fairly unusual for her to have uh, grasped a hold of that. I've realized now that so much time is wasted in debate regarding healing. Yeah. I think you just need to be around people who are practicing it and most of your questions go away. Or people who have been healed. A lot of your questions might go away. <laughs> right. I remember the first time I, I hadn't met Steve Long. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't when I met him. I didn't know him at this point. I was in, I lived in Edinburgh and Steve was at a church in Glasgow. And I drove through. It's about an hour away for those of you who don't know your Scottish geography. Why would you? And I turned <laughs> up at this church and there's worship, which is great. We used to worship. And after worship... Um, they introduce Steve Long, and Steve stands up, and, you know, Steve's just super laid back. He's like, hi, my name's Steve. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm from Toronto. I'm so glad to be here tonight. I want to preach on healing. But before I preach on healing, um, I think it'd be good to heal somebody, and that way we were learning about what we've just seen rather than just teaching pie in the sky. So right. I was just wondering, I think it'd probably be easiest if we find the most uh, difficult person to heal, the sickest person in the room, will let Jesus heal them, and then everything else should be easy after that. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love Steve. (laughs) And I was like, wait, what's happening? (laughs) Like, no academic discussion, no Bible study, just that announcement. So we all quickly agree that the woman in the wheelchair is probably the sickest person in the room. And then Steve says, hey, if I pray for her, you're all going to think it's something to do with me. So who's never healed anybody before? And these two ladies put up their hand and they said, oh, we, we've, and he's like, oh, you've never, never healed anybody? He's like, great. Okay, well, let me show you what to do. And so he talks them through how to um, minister healing. Right. And so he does. And uh, he says to the lady, well, actually, the two ladies who are praying 
as soon as they lay hands on this woman in the wheelchair, they start uh, shaking and kind of like screaming. They start making loud noises. And Steve says, look at that. Isn't that, isn't that odd? Isn't that weird? I guess that's a little bit off-putting if you've never seen that before. Why don't we ask the person who's being prayed for if it's off-putting? So Steve said, hey, how are you doing in the wheelchair? And the lady says, oh, I can feel heat going through my body. She's like, oh, oh, you're feeling heat going through, but do you feel better or worse? She's like, I feel better. Uh, the fact that these two ladies that are kind of like making some noises, that bothers you? She's like, no, 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 keep it going. Something's happening. Cut long story short, this woman gets healed. Yeah. And Steve rather nonchalantly is just like, yay, that's great. Okay, well, now let's turn to the scriptures and see what Jesus taught about healing. And I was like, I have, A, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Right. And B... I've never seen that modeled before. And see, now I'm really interested in what you're saying rather than just listen to something academically and ready to pick holes in it. Right. Right. So cool. I remember John. So that was Steve Long. He was one of the pastors in Toronto. I I lived in Scotland at that point. Then I flew over to go to Steve's church, uh, church in Toronto, and to attend a school where I met you. Yes. And then I ended up meeting the the founding pastors of that church, John and Carol Ornett, mm-hmm. uh, Steve's pastor and our pastor as well. And they, I, I ended up traveling with John and Carol, and they between between John and Carol and Steve, they pretty much solidified and not. Not convinced me that God was healing because I was already convinced, but they taught me and explained a bunch of stuff I was so confused about. Well, and demonstrated, didn't they? Oh, demonstrated out the wazoo. It right. was it was unbelievable. But I remember John saying, Alan, the more I preach about healing, the less people get healed. The more I heal people, the more people get healed. He said, So, you know, do less do less preaching about healing and do more healing and you'll see better results. I was like that is remarkably simple. But yes. What okay. About, what about you? What was your journey into healing? Well, I mean, I I got healed, uh, so that that sort of helps. I I grew up with asthma and uh, pretty bad asthma. I end up in the hospital a lot. Define a lot. A lot, like hundreds and hundreds of times. I would end up being kept for weeks and weeks. I would get pneumonia every year. And because my asthma was so bad, they keep me in the hospital for weeks. And the children's hospital in Toronto knew you by name. By name. I literally would walk in and this is a massive hospital. And as soon as they saw me, they would be like, right this way, Allison, we'll put you in here. Cause they knew how fast it could go badly with me. And, um, like you literally had like 400 and something hotel bracelets, hospital bracelets, hospital bracelets. Yeah. So, I mean, I went a lot. Mm hmm. And, um, you know, right around the time I went to YWAM, which I guess was, uh, I was like, uh, 22, I think, um, my asthma was getting worse. It had sort of taken a turn for the worse around the time that I was 18. And I started going to see this specialist on a regular basis. And so I'd go several times a month and they would do pulmonary function tests. And at one point they had said, you know, to my mom, I don't know if she lives till she's 20. Like it, it seemed that I was going downhill rather quickly. Um, and I had gotten prayer, gosh, I don't even know, 30 times. I mean, so many times. Where are you at the moment? Are you in the Anglican church? Uh, no, by this time I am, I was in the Anglican church, got prayer there. And then I was with the Baptists for about four years, got lots of prayer there. And then ended up at the church in Toronto and had gotten prayer there and I had done YWAM. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, everywhere I was going, you know, there was people praying, but just nothing was shifting. Okay. Then I guess God doesn't want to heal you. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. Okay, I'm being facetious. I didn't mean to be facetious. <laughs> but my point is we draw really bad conclusions from our own experiences. Right, but that's because we're so disappointed that we just can't. Hope seems to hurt at that point. I know I was being funny there, but did you at some point ever have that thought? Well, I guess I've been prayed for and I haven't got healed, so I guess it's not God's will to heal me. Yeah, I did think that. You okay. know, and then you hear all those other arguments like, well, God's teaching you something through this. And um, I'm like, yeah, I'm learning what it feels like to drown because I can't get air. You know, like I'm like, OK, watch as your character is refined as yeah. you gasp for air. <laughs> yeah. Seems like seems like exactly what a loving father would do. Um, anyway, I, I didn't I didn't realize the, the faulty argument at the time. I was just like, oh, so you were believing some of those things. Oh, yeah, because it gives you temporary comfort. I sure. guess it's not my time. Sure, and I guess God's teaching me something through this. Yeah, yeah. And and I just thought, well, you know, if this is the thing that that takes me home, at least I'm going home. You know, kind of thing. Like, oh uh, my, I know, gosh. I know. But like, I had almost died so many times. My lungs would collapse. Like, just crazy stuff would happen. That that was sort of a reality for me. And good Lord. Anyway, I was, I was going away with YWAM to go on outreach and we were going to Honduras. And so I'd gone home at Christmas, uh, to just, you know, see family and stuff. And we would fly out, I think on the 28th or 29th of December. And so I went to go see my specialist cause I haven't seen him in a few months cause I'd been away with YWAM. And I just said, Hey, we're going to Honduras. Uh, I don't think I can bring any syringes cause I would have to have stuff like adrenaline with me in case my lungs collapsed and, you know, different stuff. And, uh, so I just said, can you, is there anything you can give me to help me? Because I, I, my machine's not going to work down there cause I had a ventilator machine that I would bring with me everywhere. So I need something. And so he begged me not to go. This is your specialist. My specialist, my doctor. He was like, oh. I, I'm begging you not to go. He said, I don't believe that you're going to live. And he said, I just, you know, there'll be dust. There'll be all the things that set you off. You won't be near hospital. Like, please don't go. How old are you at this point? Um, Well, it was 93. So I was 22. And so he's known you for a number of years. Though. A couple of years. Yeah. So he's been your specialist that yeah. you've been seeing. So he knows your history. And he's the one that really didn't think I was going to live much past 20. And so here I am at 22. And he's a lovely, lovely uh, Jewish guy and just sweet. And uh, so I go, I just said, you know, I'm, I'm going. I really feel like I'm supposed to go. And actually, Dr. Thomas, I'm okay if I, if I die going to do what I feel like God asked me to do, which probably wasn't the most helpful thing to say to him. So he actually called mom. He's all teary-eyed. He called mom with me sitting at his desk and said, if you let her go, she comes back in a body bag. Like, don't, don't let her go. Didn't your aunt buy extra travel insurance to make yeah, sure she, your body could get she flown did. back? She bought, she bought extra insurance to have my body shipped back. So, you know, everybody was full of faith that I was going to be okay. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I went home and of course, uh, then had to deal with my, my mom's emotions on the subject. Uh, and I just said, I, I feel like I'm supposed to go and I'm going. Oh, babe. I, I know. Continue. Anyway. I can't, I probably should go back and apologize to mom for that at some point. Um, but anyway, uh, went to, you know, YWAM, they, they do everything as inexpensive as they can. Right. So as inexpensive, inexpensive. Yeah. yeah. So, so we drove 
uh, from Toronto to New Orleans in vans. <laughs> Uh, and so I, you know, I brought all of my, uh, my machines and my equipment with me to there, like my nebulizer and all that stuff. And then the plan was to leave it in New Orleans, uh, fly from New Orleans into Honduras. And then, you know, assuming I was alive, it would be waiting for me in New Orleans when I got back. And, uh, so the final night before we're supposed to fly to Honduras, um, I was having this weird thing for a couple of years that it had started when I was about 18 or 19, uh, where my lungs would collapse or just part of my lungs would collapse, but that would start really bad attacks. And so I was, um, we were all having communion, our whole YWAM team, there's 52 on the team. And all of a sudden, one of my lungs went. And so I just left the group, I know what I need to do, I go in, I give myself a shot of adrenaline, I call the ambulance, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, well, I guess I'm not going, you know, because we're flying out at five o'clock the next morning. So, uh, I go into where my bag is. I know where everything was. I have a medical bag that has a stripe on it that everybody knew it was mine. It always sat on top of my bag. So I'd know where it was and it wasn't there. And I knew it had been there. So I, I went, Oh, and so I'm ripping open my bag and I, I'm having a hard time getting air. I'm in a lot of pain. I can't find it in my bag. So I ripped apart my cousin's bag and my friend Amber's bag. Couldn't find it anywhere. And then some friends of mine came in who were also on the school and they said, they looked at me and they said, well, first Jana came in and she said, are you okay? And I just looked at her and I sort of half gasped to call an ambulance. Oh my gosh. And so she ran out to call an ambulance. Then the base leaders came in with two friends of mine and just said, can we pray for you uh, while the ambulance is coming? And I said, yes. And this one friend of mine had traveled with Derek Prince. And they just started praying and he actually prayed a prayer of deliverance over me from, from a generational spirit of asthma and infirmity. And in an instant, my lung reinflated, which was really painful actually. And the asthma attack just stopped and, uh, I haven't had one since then. So it just, it, everything changed. You got sozoed. I got sozoed. You got delivered and healed. Delivered and healed. So when you say you got healed... You went back to your doctor? Well, first I went to Honduras. Of course. For five weeks. Yep. And and the you know, there was other asthmatics on the trip, but they were what what I'd call puffer asthmatics, you lightweights. know, like lightweights. Yeah. Amateurs. Um, you know, but they just use little puffers to manage their stuff. But they were I mean, they were having a hard time and I had promised my mom that I would uh, call her every day. Uh so and it was a forty five minute walk to the phone that was in the village. So we'd like walk through the dust and all this, you know, monsoon season, and then it would dry out and it get dusty again and just craziness uh, to call her and tell her I was still alive today. Um, but I did tell her, mom, I got healed. I'm going to be fine. And she was like, just call me, you know? Um, so when I got home, I went to go see my specialist. Same doctor. Same, same doctor. Yep. And I walked in and his, you know, I hadn't made an appointment or anything. I just wanted to show him I was okay, you know, because he was so concerned before I left. So I just walked in and said to the receptionist, you know, can I, can I see Dr. Thomas? And she looked at me like she was in shock and just nodded and didn't say anything. And so he, he had an office and then he had an exam room. And so I just knocked on the door of the office and he opened the door and he looked at me and he was just totally in shock. And he said, you didn't go. And I said, no, I went. God healed me. And uh, so he booked to to do all the pulmonary function tests again. And so we did the whole round of tests and everything. And then I went back to meet with him. 
And he said, I, uh, he actually wrote me a letter saying, I cannot explain this as anything other than an act of God. He said, my lungs on their very best day were a third the capacity that I have now. And he's like, you're, I never need to see you again. You are healed. And, uh, and so that was that, but I mean, I had been prayed for, you know, so many times. So let's, let's talk about that because, uh, I understand if you're in critical pain, that there is comfort in holding to what I would call faulty theology, because at least it helps explain why you haven't been healed. Yeah. But the danger with that is it actually robs people of the very thing they they need to get healed, which is encouragement, which is hope, which is faith, faith hope, yeah, you know, all those sorts of things. Yeah. So talk about like obviously it was God's will to heal you. Yep. And obviously you were prayed for many times. Yes. But you didn't get healed. Mm. Do you have any clue why? Well, I think to to the best of my knowledge, nobody had ever tried the deliverance tract, uh, which um, asthma did run in our family. Um, so my mom had like several cousins that had uh, had very bad asthma and one that had died from it and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Nobody, I think, had ever gone the generational tract or anything like that. And I certainly don't think it had anything to do with my faith because i had no faith for it i was like as long as you phone the ambulance you guys can say your little prayer until it gets here you know i had no i mean when the ambulance came and and i was fine i didn't even know how to explain it because it it wasn't what i thought was going to happen wow yeah i think about the story in the gospels where the disciples pray for the young boy the 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 demon possessed boy yeah and he doesn't get healed Mm -hmm. right and so that that's a conversation where the boy's father goes to Jesus, "Hey, your disciples try to pray and and then and then Jesus prays for the boy and he gets healed now i I sometimes like to do this with stories. I imagine this this father bringing this young boy saying, "Hey, would you pray for my son?" And the disciples pray for him he doesn't get healed. What if he left that meeting and went home? He would conclude, "Oh well, you know, perhaps he would conclude it wasn't God's will to heal my son right, but all he needed to do was wait and when when actually God you know, rather than coming up with your own theology, he actually introduced him to God, Jesus, mm-hmm. God incarnate, and just said, would you pray for my son? And then he gets healed. And I, I think there's such danger in refusing to say, I don't know, and come up with our own theologies to explain our gap of experience and what what's prescribed in Scripture. Right. I think what's hard, though, is when you're really sick and it's really frustrating to be sick and, and not to beat it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to add to it. Could this, uh, I mean, if we don't have a theology that says something like, which is totally false, but something like, uh, God is teaching me through this. That's why I have it. Or it's, you know, it's not my time yet or whatever the thing is, then we can end up taking it on ourselves and saying, there must be something wrong with me that God won't heal me. Right. So, or I don't have enough faith, which is an ungodly belief. Right, and that's unbearable. That's unbearable. I remember speaking to John about that, and he said, Alan, faith or lack thereof is rarely the problem. Right. And I said, well, what, what do you mean? Because I was asking him, like, why do some people not get healed when we pray for them? And he said, I, I don't know. Right. What I do know is it's not because it's not God's will to heal them. Right. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But he would say it's rarely, faith is rarely the issue. If, if I call out a word of knowledge and someone stands up in response to that, he said, that's all the faith they need. If you think about it, faith the size of a mustard seed moves a mountain. Yeah. Uh, everything else is easier after that. Babe, 
I've just looked at the time and I need to go uh, to the women's thing. So can I just tell you a listener's question that you can answer? Well, and then you're just going to leave me on my own to finish this podcast? I am, but just this time, not like on the usual. I'm pretty sure I can wax lyrical on healing. I'm pretty sure you can for a very long time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. I love you. Have fun. Oh, yes. Well, wait, you you say the question and then I'll cut it in for the end so I can finish this segment. Okay. Okay. So ages left. I'm your solo host. By the magic of editing, we'll hear her um, with a question in about five minutes or so. But we were talking about the the danger of creating theology when we don't have answers. So you might say, well, Hannah Allen, why is it faulty to say it's not God's timing or God's teaching me a lesson or, you know, I'm not good enough? Why, why are those not good reasons um, for answering the question, why am I not healed? And I would simply say, I don't see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus has to be our benchmark for everything. If you can't see it in the life of Jesus, I'd be really, really reluctant to hold on to it as a theology. So, for example, when the ten lepers came to Jesus and asked to be healed, he didn't um and awe. He wasn't like, oh, I'd love to, but, you know, you three, the Father's really working on a character issue in you, and you two, it's just really not your timing right now, uh, and you, uh, you know, you're not good enough to be healed he just healed all 10 of them. And we know from elsewhere in Scripture that Jesus said, I don't do anything of my own, own accord. I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. So we realize that Jesus lived perfectly out of the will of God. And with the number of people that he healed, you, I mean, in fact, everybody who came to Jesus for healing got healed. So you know it's God's will. You also know it's God's will because when the disciples asked Jesus to pray, the prayer that Jesus taught them was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you have to step back a bit. In heaven, God's will is done perfectly. Okay, There's no contest, there's no sin, there's no devil, there's no opposition. God's will is just carried out perfectly in heaven. In heaven, there's no sickness, there's no death, there's no sorrow. That's not an accident, it's because that's what God decrees, that's what God wills. And his instruction is that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he wants the kingdom reality here on earth right now. And that's what Jesus demonstrated. Back to that verse in Acts 10, verse 38, that he he literally went around doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. He was literally doing the mandate of his father. So, you know, people ask me, how can you be so confident it's God's will to heal? And I would say the life of Jesus teaches me that. And the instruction that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew 10, he gives them a beginner's list, uh, going to the surrounding villages, and do five things. Preach the gospel, cleanse the leper, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. That was the beginner's list. Five things. Just go do this. Matthew 28, he then says, hey, uh, go make disciples of all nations, um, teaching them to do everything I taught you. So you see it's the will of God. Now, the problem is we've had, we being the church at large, have this spectacular track record of failure when it comes to healing. Sure, there are pockets of believers around the world who have got an incredible success ratio with healing the sick. But because of the lack of success that we've seen, we come up with clever sounding theologies uh, that that do more to explain our lack of anointing than they do accurately reflect the will of God. And that's where I get scared. I get scared when I'm around uh, well-meaning Christians who try and talk us 
into having a lesser gospel than the one that Jesus preached and the one that Jesus demonstrated. So when people ask me, hey, why, why don't people get healed? My answer is, I don't know. Um, I would be content to say it's a lack of anointing on our end. Um, it could be unbelief on our end. Uh, often, for me, when I've prayed for people and they haven't got healed, the, the very first thing I ask is, how did it happen? And then the next question I ask is, did you forgive the people involved in how it happens? Because unforgiveness seems to be a big a big blockage in, in my own experience of ministering to people. But I'm never going to lay the blame of why people didn't get healed. I'm never going to lay it on, one, it's not God's will to heal you. And two, it's because you don't have enough faith. If if you've ever been prayed for somebody and you haven't been healed and you've been told the reason you didn't get healed is because you didn't have enough faith, that's biblically incorrect. Why do I say that? Well, uh, there's plenty of examples where uh, there wasn't faith on the behalf of the person who's being prayed for. You think about Lazarus. How much faith did Lazarus have? None. You think about the passage we were talking about earlier where the the young man brings his son to be healed and he doesn't get healed. And so he goes to Jesus and, you know, Jesus asks him, anything's possible for those who believe. And he says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus is really good at helping us overcome our unbelief. So I feel bad that AJ's left and I I feel bad that I'm just um, speaking to myself in a room. I think the thing that we wanted to raise is in this series on Back to Basics that healing is a basic foundational element of the kingdom of God, and I'm sad it's been elevated to a debate-worthy topic. It, it wasn't a debate-worthy topic in the life of Jesus, and it wasn't in the lives of the disciples or in the early church. The book of Acts is just filled with examples of believers falling on Jesus' model of demonstrating the kingdom by preaching the word and healing the sick. And I want to I want to take a moment for those of you who are listening to this who are sick. I especially want to shout out to little Eva. I, one of my longest standing friends are a couple called Glenn and Anna Carter. Uh, I've known them for years and years and years. In fact, I've spent more of my life in friendship with them than I have not knowing them. And they have a daughter. Or her name is Eva. And she's been sick for now for 11, 12 weeks. And so I want to pray for Eva. But I also want to pray for everybody who's listening right now who is sick. And I want to encourage you that it is God's will that you would be well. So if you would allow me to, I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to give you some resources for anybody who's interested in growing in this area to to help you grow and further your understanding of healing and the kingdom of God. So Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross to pay the price for everything we need in life, for the salvation of our sin, for the healing of our bodies, and for every provision that we're going to need in the natural and the spiritual realm. And I speak the uh, the healing balm of Jesus Christ into everybody who's listening right now. Lord, I pray for deaf ears to open, for blind eyes to be open, for lame uh, legs, Lord, to be straightened, for diseases to leave, for um, blood diseases to go, for pain to vanish, for healing to come into people's bodies. And, and even as people are listening to my words right now, Lord, I ask that the power of God would come into their bodies. I thank you that you taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, I ask for the grace of God, your most wonderful Holy Spirit, to begin to flow through bodies right now, bringing healing and bringing change. Lord, I thank you that it's your good pleasure to give us the kingdom, that healing is something we don't need to strive for or earn. It was purchased for us on the cross. And I ask right now, Lord Jesus, that your healing anointing 
would begin to flow into the lives of bodies, that there would be a marked change, that there would be healing, there would be demonstrable change in people's bodies, and um, that disease would go, that pain would go, and that healing would come. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been listening to this admittedly short and uh, somewhat rushed talk on healing and you're like, man, I would love to learn a little bit more. There's a couple of resources I'd really recommend uh, you get into. The first thing I would say is become a practitioner of healing. Don't get stuck in theory. A bigger waste of your time I cannot think of than going online and debating with people. Just just stay away from that. Become a practitioner of healing. Just start healing the sick. Start praying and asking the Holy Spirit for help. And it's the fastest way I know how to grow your gift is to do your gift. Some authors that I have really, really been helped by in the past would be Randy Clark, Bill Johnson, John and Carol Ornett, and Steve Long. These are modern-day practitioners of healing who are excellent at their craft, that they've worked hard at understanding God's will, uh, implementing healing. I'll put some links in the show notes to some books I really recommend. Steve Long has written an excellent book called This Healing Belongs to You. Um, Steve uh, is one of the best practitioners I've seen of healing. Every time he comes to to Grace Center, we we see uh, incredible healings that happen, and he's got a way of making it super normal. Randy Clark and Bill Johnson sat down and kind of interviewed each other, and these guys have got like 10, 20, 30 years of ministry in watching God do miracles and heal the sick, and they, they talk about some fascinating things. I'll put their uh, book in... I'll put the book that I'm thinking of, of the title that I can't remember, in a link in the show notes for you to read as well. And I encourage you, surround yourself by people who have a track record with healing. You will find that the number of miracles you see will increase. Every person I know that spends more time debating healing than praying for the sick to be healed see less miracles than those who spend time praying for people to be healed. It's his heart for you, and it's part of your inheritance. All right, now by the magic of editing, AJ Jones, do you have a question for me? All right, babe, here's the listener's question. This one's from Isaac. It says, hey, I love your podcast. It's really fun to listen to, and I always get lots of interesting ideas from them. However, a couple of episodes ago, you said something that I'd love to hear more about as uh, as it's something I've not been able to figure out. I believe you said something along the lines of God is not the author of our suffering. I really like the idea of this in premise. However, I find it difficult to reconcile this with the countless events in the Old Testament where God sends a famine or unleashes his fury. Also, in the New Testament, Jesus is asked why this person was sick, and he said it was so that the power could be seen in him from John 9, verse 3. Could you clarify what you meant when you said God is not the author of our suffering and what the Bible says on that? Thanks. Uh, Isaac, such a fantastic question. I want to start by telling you a little something I learned as a child, and it goes like this. The old contains the new concealed, the new contains the old revealed. And basically what it's saying is that in order to understand the Old Testament properly, it is helpful to read it through a New Testament filter, all right? So your question relies upon there being two versions of God, 
on that. You, you probably wouldn't agree with that, but hear me out on that. Yes, it's possible to read the Old Testament and see God bringing about the destruction of villages and countries and nations and judgments and sicknesses and plagues coming on people and conclude that, well, this is what God is like. But you actually have to keep reading the story to get a fuller version of who God is. And that's one of the reasons that God sent Jesus Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. It says this, In the past, as in the Old Testament, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, that's Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. My point there is, when we read the Old Testament, we get a glimpse of the Lord. When we read the Gospels and we see Jesus, that's when we get to see the exact representation of his being. So, so many Christians fall into the trap of having an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. They have one foot in the Old Testament and they have one foot in the New Testament. They forget to read Old Testament scripture with a New Testament mindset. So, Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father. When you see Jesus walking around day by day, you understand that's exactly who God is. So any image of God that you have that cannot be found in the life of Jesus is an image of God that's worth questioning. Jeff Dollar this morning, our, our, our senior pastor at Grace Center, preached an amazing message this morning. And in it, he just threw out the statement. Uh, let me read it to you. Does your God look like Jesus? If your view of God, of what God is like and how God thinks and how God behaves can't be found in the life of Jesus, I'm highly suspicious that your view of God is faulty. A.W. Tozer said that what you think about God is the most important thing about you. So, Isaac, when you asked this brilliant question, uh, you know, because I said God is not the author of our suffering— there's a danger that we we live in present-day reality and ascribe that what we're going through is God's plan. Often when I'm teaching this, I like to find somebody in the front row that I know, and I like to walk up to them, and I smack them across the head, right? So it makes a great loud noise. And then I ask the congregation, was it God's desire that that happened? And people would say, no, it's not God's desire that I go around hitting people up the side of the head. And so people would say, no, it's not God's desire that it would happen. And I say, yet it happened anyway. There is lots of stuff that happens that is not what God wants. So it says elsewhere in Scripture that surely God desires none would perish. And yet every day people are perishing by the boatload. What's going on right there? Well, you have to make sure that what you're attributing to God is consistent with what we know his character to be as revealed by Jesus. For example, many people attribute to God... What if we were to attribute to an earthly father, that earthly father should be locked up for, right? So you, you, I, I mean, I meet this all the time. People experience some sort of tragedy and say, you know, it's just, it's, it's just God chastising those he loves. And I'm like, wait, if I was an earthly father who like just broke my 11-year-old daughter's arm just to teach her um, patience, to teach her long-suffering, to teach her what it's like to write with her left hand instead of her right, I would rightly be locked up as a child abuser. Um, And we would not believe that I'm a loving father. And yet, routinely, we use a faulty view of God from an Old Testament, partial understanding of God and his nature, gloss over all the, the, the revealed nature of Jesus and attribute that to God. Jesus in John 10.10 
talks about two completely different dynamics. He talks about the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So if you take that verse, you understand that stealing, killing, and destruction is not the work of the Lord, but is actually the work of the evil one. But life and life abundant comes from the Lord. And we have this challenge, talks about in Romans 12, where we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have picked up old habits of attributing bad things to the heart of God that doesn't actually exist in his heart. We need to be people who are confident that God is good, that God is kind, that God is loving, and not split hairs about what good, kind, and loving is. Because I've heard theologians bend over backwards to fit mistreatment into the heart of God. And I'm like, that's just not... That's just not what God is like. It's just not who God is. Uh, Every person that came to Jesus for help, for example, were not met with uh, punishment. I can't find any record of Jesus in the life of Jesus, Jesus inflicting sickness on people. I only see Jesus removing sickness from people. That's why I'm confident, Isaac, that God is not the author of our suffering. Then you bring up this brilliant verse in... Where was it? John 9, verse 3. Let me read it for context. John 9, verse 1. It says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who'd been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? John 9, verse 3. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God can be seen in him. And you've got to remember, when any of us read a passage of text, we bring something to the text with us. We bring our pre-understanding, we bring our own perspective, we bring our own upbringing, we bring our own bias. Everyone does that, myself included. But Isaac, in the context of your question, you said this, I really like the idea of God not being the author of you uh, of your suffering and premise. However, I find it difficult to reconcile this with the countless events in the Old Testament where God sends a famine or unleashes his fury. So I'm hearing you say, hey, this is my perspective of what God is like based on my reading of my Old Testament. And so it's not a big surprise for me that when you come to read this passage in John chapter 9, verse 3, that you're reading that as, ah, the reason that this man was blind was orchestrated by God so that he could demonstrate Jesus' power and healing. When I read that passage and I read that Jesus answered, this happened so that the power of God can be seen in him, I'm reading what Jesus is about to do, which is heal him. And I refer you back to Acts 10 verse 38, that what Jesus did was he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So when you take this verse on its own with, an, uh, uh, with a view that God is angry in the Old Testament, it's perfectly understandable how you read chapter 9, verse 3 of John's Gospel, that, oh yeah, yeah, God actually decided to blind this kid so that his power could be seen in him. But on closer inspection, it doesn't make much sense. One, in the context of the Gospels, where you don't see an example of Jesus uh, blinding anyone. In the reverse, you see him opening eyes. So that's number one. And number two, when you take it in the greater context of uh, the Gospels as summarized in Acts 10, verse 38, that Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. So Luke's perspective, and Luke would have been with the disciples, arguably, in this passage, him being blind was an act of the power of the devil. Then we take John ten ten, when the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give them life and life abundant. You see really, really clearly here that, that Jesus is actually doing the work of the kingdom, and the work of the kingdom is restoring sight, not having him blinded. The fourth thing I would throw in, if Jesus only did the will of the Father, which we know that's the case, 
And your premise, and it, it sounds like I'm trying to fight you, Isaac, and I'm not. Forgive me if it sounds like that. But if your premise is that God actually blinded this young man, why would Jesus undo what his father had done? Right? So when I take those four things together, I don't read John 9 verse 3 as God blinding this young man. I read this as Jesus healing this young man. It comes back to that wonderful quote from A.W. Tozer, that what you think about God is the most important thing about you. Everything you're going to receive in this life stems from what you think of God and what you think God thinks of you. It is so important that we have settled in our heart that God is good and that God is kind, that God is for us, that he's not against us. Otherwise, when we face seasons of our life that contain destruction or death or theft, there's a danger that if we don't have this settled in our heart, we will try and find God in the midst of our suffering rather than God as the solution to our suffering. So, Isaac, it's a great question. I'm not sure how well I answered that. I really miss having my wife here to kind of explain what I'm saying or bounce things back. But I hope that made sense. If you have a question that you would like us to answer, visit alanandaj.com slash ask or hit us up on social media and we will do our best to answer you. So there's our hop, skip, and a jump through our teaching on healing with a brilliant question from Isaac. Thank you so much for listening. I mentioned earlier that we received copies of AJ's book that are back in stock. If you'd like to order a book for a loved one or for yourself, uh, especially for Christmas this year, you might want to do that fairly quickly because one, there's a high chance that they might sell out again. And number two, shipping in the US, domestic US cuts off December 20th. So if you want a book and you want it to arrive before Christmas, December 20th is the last day that we can ship it here. And that only works works for the the domestic US. If you're ordering uh, from outside of the US, I'm afraid the cutoff to receive a book by Christmas uh, happened uh, last Saturday. This episode, like every other episode, has been brought to you by the support of our amazing patrons. This week, we want to thank Jackie in particular for her contribution. Thank you so much, Jackie, for supporting the show. If you would like to become a patron and support the show from as little as a dollar each episode, you can do so very easily by visiting alanandaj.com slash support. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope you have an incredible week, and we will be back with you this time next week. Bye-bye. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. Paleo donuts and the kindness of God are things we deal with every day. From Franklin, Tennessee, they are just like you and me. Alan and AJ. Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, sharing their life experiences, keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, they talk about faith in God, and everything under the sun, if you are a human being, there's something here for everyone.